flying down a flat track bottle in a brown sack pistons pumping in a poor boy's cadillac cross the mississippi crazy on the pale moonlight lord i'm gonna be the devil to see my angel tonight This is the Only One Shot Golf Podcast, and I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music, and you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast and get your copy of Only One Shot. That's by VJ Trollio, and it's available on Amazon. Today, I have one of the best men's college golf coaches in the country. His name's Greg Sands. He played at TCU. He's been at the helm at Texas Tech for 20 years They've made 19 straight NCAA regional appearances and advanced to the quarterfinals in 2018 of the national championship. They've made it there 10 times. 25 team titles, 30 individual champions. And I can't wait for you to get to know Greg a little bit better. And here's Greg Sands. Folks, I got Greg Sands on the phone. Greg, so special to have you on today with me on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. It's an honor. and uh, looking forward to it. Well, we met at uh, your assistant Nathan's uh, in Lana's wedding, and it's uh, you know I always like to try to get to know some of the coaches. I'm doing a lot more with the college, with the golf channel, and and I've always been a fan of college golf. Of course, playing it and playing the tour, and to get to know, I knew a lot more on the women's side because I had two girls that played in college. But I'm trying to get to know some of the guys' yeah. coaches, and I know your reputation's been fantastic. You've been at Texas Tech. I can't believe you, you look like you're 30 years old. You've been at Texas Tech for 20 <laughs> years. Yeah, time has flown by. It was a pleasure meeting you at, at the wedding. Of course, I get to see you on the Golf Channel, and and had actually already told someone there. I was like, "Hey, there's Jim Gallagher." And we were talking about you uh, beating Seve in the Ryder Cup, and then you know, I got the opportunity to talk to you. So it was a pleasure, pleasure meeting you, and um, and uh, certainly would love to to fill you more in on Texas Tech golf, but also the men's side. And, so looking forward to this. Yeah, it's you know I always get to use the Seve story. I, that keeps my job, I guess. In contact. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how that's kept. You know, the American team had one over there since my team won in '93. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's been that long since. That, that is amazing. I mean, it's as many good teams, I, and that's just crazy, isn't it? It really is. I'll tell you what, though. After this uh, Palmer Cup uh, coming off uh, that win, and really seeing um, seeing the the international team. Um, and the uh, the passion they had and that they showed up with, we really were probably caught off guard for a little bit until we had a, a rain delay. I think that rain delay really got our attention. We were pretty far down on day one, and and we just didn't we we were just probably not 100 percent ready for the passion they had to to win. And until we matched that, which unfortunately we did, um, then then you know we probably would have got beat too. So. I think that opened my eyes to how much they really uh, crave that, and and, uh, and it really takes some guys and gals to to uh, match that. And uh, we were luckily up 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 for it. But but to your point, yeah, I think that opened my eyes to that to exactly what you're making is that that the passion they bring, I think, is just unrivaled. And I think the other thing they bring is just some natural matches from country country to country. You know, they can put two pod two Spanish players together. They can pod two. French players together and and I think that brings them together in a way that maybe you know that that we haven't quite figured out because uh unless you can find two like-minded 
people, then and sometimes it's it's a little bit on the fly trying to match those those teams up and get that right as quick as you can. Yeah, you answered my question. I was going to ask why you thought they had the passion. I think that's a part of it. They've got they can match those, and they they always for some reason played with that underdog role, and and I think sure. they've embraced it. I kind of did it in my career. Uh, it it kind of kept me motivated to keep working hard and try to beat the best. And I think. Uh, I mean, you you can look, you can look at it college golf too. I mean, you've got the Oklahoma States and these teams that have been so good for so long, uh, and I think you know it's it's that underdog role is the one you better watch out for because they're liable to beat you. And I think that's that's what you as coaches have had sure. to kind of do a lot along the way as well, don't you think? Sure thing. You know, we we uh, we're we're trying to get there, and we feel like we've gotten it to a really good spot, making the match play two times, and and having some top ten and. 15 programs uh, to finish the year, but it's, you know, really a testament to those guys, uh, Alan Bratton, what he's done to continue that legacy of, of the tradition they've built. You know, just when you think maybe they are going to be down like this year, they get a couple transfers and they did a great job of getting those kids to transition well. And next thing you know, they're, they're in the final match playing, you know, for a, for a national championship. Or maybe they didn't make the final match. I can't remember if it's semifinals, but but nevertheless, uh, yeah, OU was in the finals with Pepperdine. So right. nevertheless, they had a great great run and and probably a year that at the beginning of the year I would have maybe said hey they may have an off year. And so I think they just have great coaches and and great facilities and and uh, great history to go along with it. But uh, but but to your point, yeah, we we we've embraced that underdog role. Certainly being maybe a team in the in the in this conference that's so so good with Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. And we've had to scrape and claw to, to get in Baylor and TCU as well. So we have to have to embrace that role. And, and hopefully one day maybe we're on, on another talking point where we've, we've built that program up to where we can sustain it a little bit more. Well, you're not hiding anymore. I think people are very well aware how good you are. And I've been watching y'all the last few years and you've really done a great job, but how do you compete with those schools that have the tradition or the reputation? How do you, get kids to buy into what you're trying to sell or trying to get them to come to Texas Tech? You know, it's been a process. It hasn't happened overnight. We've been fortunate to, um, one, I think the biggest thing that's happened is we were, we did get into the Big 12. Um, you know, that in and of itself has allowed us to really transform our athletic facilities around here and in turn build a golf course, a championship golf course on campus. And, uh, and so that, that, that's been a huge piece. Jerry Rawls was the single biggest benefactor there. He gave us a, a big donation to get that done. Loves the game of golf. And, and, um, and so that was the biggest thing for us. But the other thing is we, we had just some hard workers, some kids that may have had a chip on their shoulder being, you know, not as highly ranked and recruited by those schools and wanted to come work hard here. Some Texas players, Andrew Dresser was an all American for me out of Carrollton. Um, Kyle Willman was probably my first recruit, a junior college kid. And, and then the third piece is just finding kids internationally. We've been, you know, we've, we've had a pretty good mix of Texas kids, Oklahoma kids and, and, uh, international kids and, and the sporadic, you know, maybe kid from a California here and there, but we've had to find some kids internationally that maybe have gone overlooked and, and have the talent, uh, maybe like a Ludwig Aber, who's now currently ranked number three in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we've had to find some of those kids that maybe uh, other programs uh, haven't found. And, and luckily for us, it was in a country, Sweden, where we had done so well. And so those things kind of came together for us to to uh, land land a blue chip recruit like him. So 
you know, now that we're at this level, we are probably going to be able to recruit a little bit higher ranked kids in Texas. And, and additionally, um, you know, some, some kids internationally will be able to sell the fact that we have two, two top 10 players in the world, uh, rankings. And, um, and one of them's currently injured, but, but nevertheless, he reached that point and, and, you know, from this place, it's possible to get there. Yeah, you mentioned injuries. How do you deal when you get a guy that's one of your top players that's out? I mean, that's a big loss, and, and it's a tough one to kind of feel, although you are pretty deep as a team. You know, how do you encourage him, and how do you try not to get him back too fast and get him back uh, healthy enough to play again? Sure. Yeah, I think we found some light at the end of the tunnel. We've, we uh, he's He found, well, when he was over uh, there the last couple of weeks, he found a, a specialized doctor that's run upon on the same problem with some elite players and he has a procedure that uh that looks like maybe he's gonna you know be, be a uh a, a possibility to, to fix it and so to not to not get too far into the weeds of the details but that certainly has given us some some new recent hope um that the the fact that the doctor seems to be very confident that this is what it is and that this is what could fix it and uh, the other procedure he had i think helped but didn't pull away the inflammation from that joint so ultimately it was causing some pain and he couldn't really feel like that he could commit to fully releasing the club face so i think we're getting close but you know there's no guarantees in life and he's certainly uh one of those things that we want to uh, make sure that we do it the right way and, and i think it's 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 not going to be a matter of re-injuring it so luckily it's it's stronger than ever it's just going to be a, a matter of him believing in it and that the mental piece of being able to uh, get rid of the pain and then, and then believe it's gone and, and swing with confidence. So, you know, those two things hopefully will happen sooner than later, but, you know, there's never a perfect timeline for those things. No, I was blessed. I was never hurt. Now, my brother, on the other hand, had more surgeries. I don't. I thought he was loved anesthesia. I couldn't figure out why he was having so many <laughs> surgeries. But I've, I was fortunate. I never got hurt, and I, I, I can't understand sometimes, you know, what – kids just want to play and I know they just want to play and right. get it fixed and it's terrible to be injured especially that young but you mentioned the international and, and some schools have pipelines you, you know you have success but COVID is I mean we could go all through it on that but that really changed the way you've recruited uh, not just at home but also internationally that's been really tough to kind of get these kids to come over but when you recruit an international kid a lot of them don't even see campuses they just come over blind I mean how do you go upon do you go over there to recruit them and and how do you get them there on campus? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting to be 20 years into it and see how that's changed. I have taken a few kids sight unseen. I've seen their videos maybe in the early days when I didn't either a feel like I had the enough money in the budget to go over there or didn't really know the the best terms to go to. So took a couple of those kids that I just saw their resumes and saw their golf swings and got some references on them, but. Um, and I do think some programs still rely upon doing it that way. But I feel like now that we have our budget the way we are, it's really uh, best to go over there, watch the kids play multiple rounds and try to get a feel for what they're doing. And, and sometimes they come over here, whether it's the Orange Bowl tournament or the, the Junior World or uh, the Doral. There's there's several tournaments that we can lay our eyes on them over here as well. So, And then it's just become more of a global game. And with technology, you're able to – learn more and more about the kids in a faster fashion. So uh, it's interesting because you look at even rosters like the University of Texas when they won their first national champ. Well, I say first. It wasn't their first. But in my coaching career, mm -hmm. it was their first one. Um, you know, have the kid Dylan Fertelli making the final putt. You know, you would think a, 
uh, University of Texas would just have Texas kids, and they mainly do, but but uh, the, to the point of it is such a global game that even Texas would have you know, some internationals on that team. I think they even had a Finnish kid that was a good player, and uh, I think they've also recruited another South African. So Oklahoma State has a few too. So it's becoming so global that I think um, that even even some of these top programs are are, uh, are are looking over there too to to make sure that they can fill their rosters with the best players and best kids that we can that we can find. Yeah, it was a lot more on the women's side, but you're seeing it on the men's side. I think you you nailed it. It's a global game, and it's uh, everybody wants to come over and play college golf over here and kind of get their skills in there and try to improve but you mentioned your facilities tell us a little about the golf course and your in your practice facility i'm sure it's incredible because so many that's what's so changed i mean even when you played at tcu and even when i was at tennessee how things have changed in these multi-million dollar facilities but tell us a little bit about your facility yeah uh, it was built in 04 um is an extremely um cool process with the lack of a better word to, to watch it from from the beginning and, and having a, a designer like tom doe on your property a lot and being able to see him take pretty much a, a flat cotton field that was on our campus and turn it into a, uh, you know, an over $13 million golf course back then. And, and all the dirty had to move and, and, and whatnot. But, but, you know, we've hosted a, hosted a couple of regionals in a, in a women's big 12 championship and we're hoping to host more uh, regional championships and, and tournaments like that uh, moving forward. But, um, so it, it feels a lot like a Lynx golf course, although a lot of the trees that we did plant are, are starting to get bigger. And so the feel certainly feels Lynxy on the ground at times. Um, but and with with the wind we get in the spring, you know, it's pretty calm in the fall and summer, but we do get some good West Texas wind in the spring. So he, Tom did a good job of designing the golf course with that in mind, and and uh, the, the course is real playable. And I think challenges the kids around the greens, where is obviously the the place that most people need to, to grow to, to be able to play at the next level is around the greens or on the greens. And so it, it really helps us develop those things. And then we have probably the, the I think it's the second largest driving range in, 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 a, in the country. It's 60 acres and we can hit in any, any direction for a win. Um, got a lot of various targets out there. And then our short game area that we have that's closer to our locker room. It, it's got, a 20,000 square foot putting green, chipping green that we can, the DAY ring just redesigned. So uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. The facilities, not only in our, in our conference, but you know, you know, if you look at the SEC and some of those things that are going on there, it's probably just like what's happening in other sports is everybody wants to compete at a higher, higher level. And, and uh, I really felt like probably about 15 years ago, maybe, maybe 10 is when AD started really trying to compete in, in all sports, and that really hit golf in a, a f- facilities fashion where, you know, they're starting to put money into uh, sports like men's and women's golf to compete, you know, at a, at a national level. And I think it's a game changer for, for a lot of us. It certainly was for our program because we really had no home. You know, we had to go to Lubbock Country Club and Hillcrest Country Club and be guests and yeah, they they were very supportive, but nothing feels like home where you can you know hang your hang your hat at the end of the day, hang your clubs up, and 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 be out here and feel like you're you're welcome. Not only are you welcome, but you know you have a standing open invitation on the first tee when you need it. Um, so that's that's been this facility has meant everything to our development uh, of this program to to the next level. I think that's a great point because you know with us in, in Knoxville, I went to school there because we played five different golf courses. 
problem with that, you were a guest. You never hit balls. You never, yeah, I wasn't exactly. a big practicer, but you always kind of were walking on eggshells. You didn't want to mess up. And, sure. get, and, and my team early on had some issues, so I'm not going to lie. Uh, if we had social media. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah, if we had social media back then, I don't know if our team would exist anymore, but we, uh, we weeded those guys out. But you mentioned these facilities and these athletic directors getting behind all these schools. That puts a lot of pressure on you coaches and, and players as well to, to also get out there and, and play well and succeed, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. You know, I'm, I, I think there's no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I think I put more pressure on myself mm-hmm. to do well. So I don't really look around looking for someone that's putting pressure, but, but to your point, I absolutely, you know, I think that, you know, we're getting paid more than we ever have. I've got a copy of my first contract here to remind me when they took a chance on me and, and, you know, 2001, it was, you know, a $30,000 job. And, uh, you know, some coach are, are making 10, 10x that now mm-hmm. um, around the country. And so point point is, is I think there it, it is, a, is a sport where um, they want to see um, uh, talent being developed. They want to see results on the field. And, and it may not have necessarily been that much of a pressure cooker, you know, say, you know, 20 years ago when I started that, you know, it's probably, hey, you know, just don't get in trouble, don't do anything stupid, and you're probably doing okay. And I think it's changed to now they want to see you competing, certainly in the, for conference championships and doing well on the national scene. And and uh, so we're probably getting a taste of what, what uh, some of these other programs have been under for a, bit, a little bit longer than we have. Well, I mentioned you played at TCU, had a successful career there. Why did you get into coaching? Uh, what got you in there, and who gave you your first shot? Yeah, I, I, I'll – I always wanted to be around sports and really felt like that I, uh, in, in college, I was trying to make the TCU golf team. We had a big golf team and coach Montegill gave me an opportunity to make the golf team and walk on. And I eventually made the team. But during that time I was able to work for, for the basketball program on a volunteer basis, writing letters for recruits and doing some different things there. So I knew I wanted to coach. I think I, I thought I wanted to coach basketball. I just didn't, have the ability to play at the level that maybe have the kind of foot in the door that I had with golf, you know, mm-hmm. um, eventually was able to ask coach Montegill for a volunteer coaching position, helped him out. And then, and then, uh, graduate assistant position for a little bit. And then came, came here to Texas tech in 99 as the assistant. So that Texas tech was the first one to give me my opportunity, but the, the why was the, the kids and, and really, I just felt like the good Lord had put it on my heart to, to, to be a coach because of the coaches that meant so much in my life and what they had had done to serve me in that capacity and all the life lessons I learned. That's what drew me to coaching was those guys were really some significant father figures in my life and, and to my dad's life too. And so I saw the impact that some coaches had on his life and felt like, Hey, that'd be a great opportunity to, to possibly, uh, to, to be involved in young kids' lives in a, in a meaningful way. So that's the why, and, and I'm thankful that when Jeff Mitchell left here to, to take the Stanford men's program, that Gerald Myers was, was willing to give a 26-year-old an opportunity to, to coach and um, prob- probably didn't deserve it. Um, and I actually remember calling Coach Montague and go, I think I'm going to get this job. I don't know if I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he really, I remember to this day, him saying, hey, you, you can do this. He goes, uh, you know, I was a basketball coach and, and was able to figure it out. You're going to figure it out real quick. And really gave me some confidence that maybe I could do it and and um, was just at the right place at the right time and 
fortunately for me, I recruited some right guys that worked hard, and we were able to turn turn this program around pretty quick and and get some momentum. and And it's crazy where we've come from, but but it's uh, um, it's fun to try to now stay at this level that we've gotten it to. It's a new challenge in and of itself. You mentioned Jeff Mitchell. I played the tour with him, knowing very well. And he, like you said, he coached there and everything. But one of the things you said that I, I've talked to lots of coaches on this podcast, and it's about molding young men. And and being a Tennessee guy, I, we've had our share of being beat up by Steve Spurrier. But one of the things I heard him say is he knew he was being a success or has been a successful coach when his former players want to come back and also want to introduce their kids to him. And I think that's a lot to be said of what you're saying about all the coaches that influenced you in your life, and and, and it's a that's why people coach, it's why people teach. I think it's a it's yeah. a special calling, and and you've done a great job with it. Uh, but it, it does it takes a, it you. takes some patience with that as well. And as I said, 26 year old guy, it's like baptism with fire. Uh, you know, yeah. when you get in there. But you know, what were you looking for when you were recruiting? players back then and even now when you're looking for a kid and the kids that are listening to this and their parents what are you looking for in a junior player uh when you're recruiting them to come to texas tech yeah a lot of this will sound cliche but i think if uh you allow me to expound upon it it'll, it'll make a little more sense but i think the first and foremost you want a kid that that shows a little independence and uh owns their own game and that looks a little different in certain certain times and sometimes maybe a kid hasn't had that opportunity because maybe, maybe their parents have, have been really highly involved. And but but you really want a kid that that's independent that can come in and and uh, own their own game and and have a good understanding of, of their own game. I think that's that's a that's a significant piece. And maybe to back up a little bit, you obviously got to have a kid that's sharp enough to uh, to do school and and do this and want to do that. I've made some mistakes where maybe a kid was a little bit unsure. And international kids, I don't really, really want to keep going to school. I kind of just want to play golf, and so sometimes if you try to force that a little bit, um, I think it could end up being, you know, a, a short, short career. For example, I think one guy that just made the PGA, um, a good example that would be uh, Mito Pereira. He just made the PGA Tour, first guy from Texas Tech, but he was only here for about a year and a half, and mm-hmm. it wasn't a mistake to recruit him at all. But I did know in the beginning that that he was a little bit unsure about you know, academic piece. And so, so you, you do want guys that want to graduate and have, have the, the grades there um, because it's important to graduate um, kids. Um, and I think hard work, you know, is a, is a big piece of what we do here in our culture. Uh, a kid that, that wants to, wants to play at the highest level and wants to work hard to get there. And I always tell a kid, you can't legislate passion. And mm-hmm. uh, so if the kid doesn't have a passion for, for a girl in his own game and it just becomes, you know, very tough to, to try to, you know, get that kid to the level because ultimately they, they check out and don't want to work hard. So, you know, I try to see, is this a game they want to get better? Is this a game that dad, dad or mom want him to be good at? And sometimes that's hard to tell, but, but I think I've gotten pretty good at, at seeing if the kid has a passion or, or their parents have the passion. And, uh, and so I think that's a, a big, big part of our culture is, is a work ethic. And then, you know, I, I think kind of getting more finely tuned, but just an all-around uh, good person. I think, um, you know, we've had guys, uh, you know, that you think you're bringing in, they're great people, and it may end up being kind of a, a culture killer and, and vice versa. You know, maybe you think there's a good kid, he ends up being a great kid. It really uh, turns turns your culture from good to great. So, 
um, if you can get that fine tuned and things, and you really, really, really get uh, a great culture like we have here with a couple kids that have really, um, you know, moved the needle from from good to great. And Kyle Hogan's a kid that doesn't get a lot of pub or or a ton of pub on our team, but he won the Elite 90, which is which is the top uh, GPA and kid that's voted on at the NCAA championship. And he had a 4-0 in, in finance and and uh, and but he's also equally a great great uh, culture guy and a guy that loves his team first and there's a lot of things that he does around here that that i don't have to coach so that's all icing on the cake hopefully that, that answered your question no. and some but um yeah it's a great answer i think you mentioned something about owning your own game hal sutton told me on the podcast you've got to own your own game you've got to be responsible for that obviously you're the one putting the signature on the card but you mentioned a couple things uh you know with the kids i mean it's a job for these guys now i mean uh, but I think one of the toughest challenges for coaches is team chemistry and, and also taking kids because as juniors, uh, we're used to being, it's all about me. It's an individual sport. Now we go to the team. Do you look for kids when you're recruiting that maybe played other sports uh, to maybe bring that team that they've had a little bit of experience as a team chemistry? You know, I don't know if I set out to look for him, but when I find a guy I really like and I hear that he plays other sports, I really get excited. I, I love that. That it kind of, like I said, the icing on the cake a little bit. But, you know, and maybe that comes from, from me playing basketball as well in, in high school and playing at a pretty high level at a 4A school in Texas and, and getting it to be around a, a different sport. But I think that, that there is a difference. And sometimes, you know, these kids haven't been in a team setting until – you know, maybe their high school team. Mm-hmm. And so I do think a little extra, um, a little, maybe a little extra understanding of what it's like to come together as a team is helpful. Certainly you hear stories of teams that didn't have good culture. They won the NCAA championships just because they had great, great players. So we are maybe in a sport where we're not running plays and we don't have to have perfect chemistry necessarily, but it sure makes our job easier. Sure makes winning even that much more closer and, and all the small things that you're trying to do with, with everything you ask these student athletes, because there's so many things they've got to do on a day-to-day basis. If you have good team culture, those things come easy rather than you're just pulling your hair out every day, trying to get these guys, you know, to move in a certain direction. And, you know, but ultimately that's our, our, our job too, is to try to mold them, you know, into more team players to help them see outside themselves a little bit. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a, Again, other pillars be a good teammate. You know, don't be jumping in the van first and grabbing the good seat. You know, mm-hmm. give give that up to to someone else. And and so, it is really probably part of our job is to get get them there and and to to move them there and not just expect that they're going to ultimately you know come from high school and be there. So, um, so but yeah, to those multiple sport athletes I think are good in, in a lot of different ways, and that's just you know one way that. I think they're better as understanding the team concept. You should have been my coach because I was the youngest on the team, and they called me the eternal <laughs> freshman, and I sat in the back the whole time. I never got slept on a cot for three years. That's probably why I got successful on the tour. But you know, those are the days that I just, I, I just, I cherish those. We get together with our teammates. But you, you mentioned something. Larry Penley told me on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago that he recruits kids not with good attitudes, bad attitudes, but the right attitude. You and I talked about that the other night uh, about that because if you spend 
seven hours in a van, you sure better have the right attitude, and I better like you. <laughs> it could make for a, a long yeah, day. Absolutely. But what's a typical week like for uh, you know the kids when they're home? Not on the travel week, but a typical like workouts and school. What's a typical maybe day or week like for in qualifying for your players uh, at Texas Tech? Yeah, so it's changed a little bit maybe with uh, the COVID stuff and being more of a hybrid model and having more time uh, for these kids to come out here. We only have 20 hours a week, but I do think that now that we had this hybrid classes in the fall, the kids were out here a little bit more because they were doing some online classes. Um, but I think things are getting back to more like normal. So you know, normally they're in class 12 to 15 hours a week, depending on what load they're taking. And then, and then we utilize all 20 hours a week. We, we qualify two or three times a week, and then we, we have team practices as well. And then a lot of the times we'll do team practices, and it's, and it's uh, individual, meaning that they get to do, do what they want to do um, as far as the uh, content. Um, and then on top of that, they're, they're, they're freshmen. They're putting, putting in some study hall, eight hours a week study hall. And um, that's again, that's kind of gone by the – wayside a little bit with uh, COVID because of uh, the group gatherings. But um, it makes for some busy weeks. Um, but luckily, we have our golf courses on campus. So, I mean, they have like a five-minute drive from either their dorm or apartment, if that. And uh, they're able to kind of maximize their time. And um, but, but, but maybe to your point earlier, these, these kids are more and more serious about their, their craft and their trade. And I'll say this, I, you know, I'm – it just seems like these kids are putting in more and more practice and they're getting better and better and better. And they always want to be out here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's why, you know, kids are getting better is because they really, when, when you're at this level, you, you have to love the game and man, they're out here all the time and, and working on their own stuff and showing up, you know, way, way more than, than you expect and way more than, um, you know, some of the kids maybe 10 years ago, like sometimes I have to like push them out the door and go, Hey, you need to go like get a life and go do something else. I mean, <laughs> I think you've practiced enough. Your golf game is good enough. Go, go do something and get your mind off of it a little bit. So, um, so it's really competitive and, and, and these kids are really, really take, take, uh, their golf seriously. Well, I always ask my guests, it's always a tricky question to answer, but you kind of answered it right there. What makes an elite golfer an elite golfer? And it's going that extra mile and digging deep and wanting to win. What's, what's your opinion on what makes an elite golfer an elite golfer? Maybe separates himself or, or herself from the rest of the uh, the rest of the players. Yeah, I think I think we're getting into some 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 of the mental stuff that we try to work on. But you know, each kid is differently, and and a lot of our magic happens in some individual meetings and diving deep into what's going on with their game. And you know, uh, I think we get most players that get here and have really good fundamentals with the teaching piece being so exaggerated along the way. But, but a lot of these kids don't either know how to manage their game, uh, manage their emotions, mm -hmm. or just maybe uh, analyze, you know, the stats and try to focus their practice a little bit. So I think that's where we can really help them most is, is finding out, you know, really in those individual meetings, what's going on in their life, um, how we can get them, you know, from, from A to Z a little bit. And, and sometimes that's really talking about things that, that are uh, either emotional pieces or, or things that are happening within around their just mentally that are keeping them from performing their best. And um, so those are the things I feel like have, have helped us the most. Certainly when we were making, uh, when we won the regional this year, I think we were re really good at those things uh, kind of clicking on all cylinders and we're at a good spot as a team and with our mental games and our focus. 
on what we were doing there. And, um, and so those are the things as coach that are gold for, for, for your team to, to perform at the highest level. And, and, uh, I, I guess I attribute most of that stuff to, to those fine, uh, individual meeting topics that, that seem to, to, uh, you know, you, you have an idea of what you think those are going to be like, but once you get in there and, and really start, um, digging deeper and finding ways to get the kid better and getting on the same page. That's where you really get some improvement. Yeah. I think you got to have the communication wave open. You got to have that line of communication open because you may not know what's going on in their life. You know, their parents may be having struggles or something at home that completely hundreds or thousands of miles from there on campus. And and you got to kind of be able to kind of figure out maybe this is why so-and-so is not playing well, something's bothering him outside of the golf or his own life. And I think those are things that coaches, that's really tough because you, they, the kids don't like to open up. Uh, you know, maybe on the women's side, they do a little bit more. Uh, but I always kind of did that as a parent. I kind of always felt like with my kids, the door's open, you know, let's, let's open the communication line because I think it's it's the only way to be successful to kind of feel like you know what's going on. But you, sure. men- you, you mentioned, uh, you know, something else that I've, I looked at you and you look like an athlete. And I looked at me and I said, well, obviously he's worked out. I don't. Uh, but the kids work out so much now. Uh, it's amazing because we never did any of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, we may run a little bit, but workouts are so – and they've got to be golf-minded because you got to be so careful. Mm-hmm. I've seen even with my girls getting hurt in workouts that we maybe have the softball coach working them out. Uh, how much do you all work out and how big a part of that is in you know getting everybody ready uh, on a weekly basis? Yeah, I think I think it's it's really been one of those those pieces. Probably we look at from from Tiger Woods on. It's really gotten you know more and more um, focused in on on what a good golf workout looks like and and what you know what that could be. But I certainly think when when he showed up on the scene and kind of made it a little bit more of an athlete's game, if you will, um, people were starting to look at ways to get better physically. And and it really, I think the the main thing we're doing because we have limited time is just really trying to is really injury prevention, keeping the guys in good enough shape, making sure we're stretching where we need to stretch. But each guy individually, we try to evaluate too a little bit because there could be a guy that's, you know, hyper flexible, mm-hmm. flexible and needs to maybe get some strength. And then we may have a guy like me who can get a little bit muscle bound and not very flexible at all. So, you know, we do some team things together that, that, that look the same, but then we also encourage them to, reach out to our strength coach and most of the guys will and get a little more specific on their needs. And then our trainer's really good. They both have some, some, uh, golf training. They understand the golf movement. And, and, uh, and so that's where it gets a little more individual on some attention on, you know, whether it's their hips or tight or, or their back could get tight or certain things that they can do to, to, to really prevent injury. And I think that's one of the biggest things we're trying to do is that we got a long season. These guys practice mm-hmm. a lot. How can we, how can we avoid, you know, the, uh, those things that could, could happen. And, you know, Sandy's thing was a freak, freak, freak thing, but looking back on things, maybe, maybe a little more strength there could have, could have helped him. Um, but, but that's always hindsight's 2020, but, uh, but I think it is an important piece of the, of the puzzle. That's that's just like this facilities thing. I think everybody's getting better, better at, at training and training specific to each sport. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, and, and, and as your season goes on, you're not going to work them out as hard as you do at the beginning or, or the off season, right. but match play came into play. It's been a while. 
Uh, SEC's got it. ACC is the Big Twelve going to match play, uh, or are they are there plans in that? I mean, how much? How did you prepare for match play when you play metal play the whole year, and all of a sudden, boom, sure. national championships yeah. match play. We we do a Big Twelve match play tournament in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just started it, I think, three to four years ago. Uh, we actually won it last year in the COVID year, and we had a really good. Uh, we were ranked, ended up ranked third in the country in March when everything kind of shut down. But we actually won that in the fall, um, and so um, that was really. It's just a really fun event. It's all it's all dedicated to match play. It's separated from our from our stroke play championship, which is in the spring when everybody else is hosting their, you know, regular uh championship so we felt like when we when we did this we weren't 100 percent on the same page i, I kind of was a proponent to move our championship in the spring to a hybrid stroke play and match play but um, i do think we've landed in a good spot where we're playing one uh, match play championship in the fall and then we when we play stroke a 72 hole stroke play championship in the spring and i, I guess with uh with the results we've had you know in the last you know 10 years in the big 12 with not only national championship but but teams making the, the the match play, then you probably couldn't argue with where we've landed. I think it's a good mixture of of preparing kids for match play, and then you know when you're able to play Prairie Dunes, Southern Southern Hills, mm. uh, Whispering Pines for 72 holes at that part in your championship season. I think it's really helped us, you know, per, uh, play well in the postseason. You know, because you just learn so much; it gets your game. You know, it exposes some things. And then plus, I think when you play a place that hard and then all of a sudden you show up to a place that's a little bit easier, you're you're probably in a better spot mentally. So there's some probably some small things to be said for keeping our stroke play and especially being able to play the courses we've been able to play. I remember Mike Holder said if you could play the, their home course, you could play anywhere. <laughs> but, I, 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 exactly. but he was a little tougher. He also said if the wind blows tough, it's a beautiful day. But uh, that's going back uh, some time. I remember Coach Holder. He was, a, he was a beauty. But he had a lot of success there. But, uh, you know, who do you all have coming back, and what's the 21-22 season look like for you all? Yeah, we're really fortunate. We've, we've got everyone back and, and possibly Sandy off his injury. So we could be, you know, back to clicking on all cylinders when we were in the top three in, in 20, 2019, 2020 there. Um, and, uh, and so we would have, but we have everybody coming back from, from last year's squad. And, and, um, we have two, two guys that could have, uh, gone, gone. They, they, they were, uh, both uh, had the opportunity. One was pretty close in that um, PGA Tour University. Kyle mm-hmm. Hogan. We had a had a tough decision, but he's such a team guy because I want I want to utilize that COVID year and come back. So, so we have uh, Andy Lopez and Kyle Hogan that that have been around here a long time. One of them transferred from Stephen F. Austin after a couple of years, so he's been around here uh, four years. But Kyle's been around here six years because he redshirted and got a COVID year. So. So we, we keep trying to find new degrees for him after he's got a finance degree and, and, and a and a and a MBA on his hands. <laughs> but uh, um, but we do have everyone coming back. Uh, Ludwig is uh, obviously playing some really good golf. He he just missed out winning the European Am. He finished second. Um, and uh, so yeah, obviously he's he's uh, a key to key to our success to for him to play as well as he's been playing. Um, but we also have some new guys coming in too that we're excited about and looking forward to seeing how how well they do. What uh, what's the best way for a kid to get a hold of you or maybe get you to take a look at him? What's the best way for them to contact you? I know there's so many NCAA rules, but what's the best uh, for our listeners out there? The best way to get a hold of Greg Sands? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, technology is so good. I, I uh, would say, that, you know, various types of way, whatever their preference is, you know, email. Um, it's, it's on our website. And uh, we also have a, a, t- a Twitter page, a text tech Twitter page that I, that I don't do don't do everything with very do little, but I check it a lot. Our Instagram page as well. I think those kids like to do it that way. And then, you know, um, I think ultimately the, the best way to, to, uh, to get noticed is, is to keep playing and playing as many terms as they can. But, but those are the best ways to get a hold of me and, and, um, really appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. 25 team titles. 30 individual titles, a number one national ranking, 19 straight regional appearances, and 10 trips to the nationals. This is a tough question. This will be my last one. What are you most proud of so far in the past 20 years? Oh, that is a really, really sorry. good thing. I do it every time. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't want to live just a cliche, you know, graduating kids and having them come back, but I do think that was like even like the wedding that's probably recent on my mind, getting to see kids like Tyson Turnbow and Henry Todd and some of those guys being in, in Nathan's wedding, you know, seeing those guys afterwards and being a part of their lives is, is, uh, the Finley Ewing was there. So I think seeing those kids succeed when they, they move down the road is probably the, the, the most fulfilling thing, um, that you could do. Um, but I will say, even though we, we've been to the, the final eight twice and, uh, and lost both times in, in our first round, uh, even though we lost those those matches, um, and one one year we ran up against a good Florida State team with Brooks Kepka, and mm. then at nineteen we we uh, ran up against Alabama, uh, who obviously had a really good team. Even though um, we lost both those, those were really really fun moments to to reach that stage where you feel like okay we're resetting and going to match play. Those are memories. Even though we lost, I, I feel like we'll we're pretty pretty pinnacle. Uh, moments and if I have 30 seconds I'll tell you about one other moment that was pretty Absolutely. cool um, we had uh, it was uh, we were down 12 shots to Texas A&M kind of an in-state rival or is an in-state rival and uh, we're playing their home golf course and um, and we were 12 back but Oklahoma State was a really good team they were in the rank in the top five I think A&M was ranking the top five and we were probably number somewhere between eight to 12 and Anyway, we were playing with them in second place, 12 behind on their home golf course and probably played the single most incredible round of golf we've ever played. We shot 12 under, blowing about 20. Wow. And uh, and and uh, I think I actually think we may have been uh, 15, yeah, 15 shots behind. We shot 12 under, A&M shot four over and uh, came back probably one of the biggest crowds is Easter Sunday. They had a lot of Aggies out there and we had a couple guys that uh, birdied the last hole to to win that win that tournament um, in 2006, um, and so that's probably one I'll never forget. Just just based on the stage, being an in-state rival, being being that far behind, and yet being in second place and coming back in a good field on the last round like that—that that was a pretty special. Moment. That's an awesome story. I always kind of like to end it with uh, whether life or golf. You may have only one shot. You got to make it count. I've got some really good friends that live in Lubbock. Actually, not just Judy Ranking, but Billy Breedlove. I think he's the engineer for Texas Tech. And it was he always says, "Guns up." Is that how we go end this with guns up? Is that how? Is that your sign? Absolutely. Re- 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 well, we say wreck them more than guns up, but guns up has been a little bit more recent. And 
I always like it because it may ruffle some feathers. So Absolutely. I, I think we'll end it with guns up. Well, <laughs> you all are ruffling some feathers, and uh, you got some things going in the right direction. I can't wait to, to watch you cover you all again uh, in the fall and next year. Good luck to you, and thanks for spending some time with me, and uh, good to catch up with you, Greg. My pleasure, and I really, really enjoyed it. Had a broken down car in the 8am traffic Bumper to bumper Nobody laughing dead cell phone Somebody throw me a bone Is it just me? Am I all alone now?